This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Julie Banderas, bottom of the hour. Chad Pergram standing by in about 15 minutes. We did get the news, and it's not good. For the second consecutive quarter, we have negative growth, GDP growth, which means recession. This administration wants to tell you it means something else. Just like they tell you a man and a woman don't mean the same thing. Just like they tell you the war, uh, uh, the Afghanistan, departure from Afghanistan was successful. They want us to not believe what we know is the truth. Look, if I told you there wasn't a recession, it was positive growth, you're still going to make your own decision because it all affects you. When you get your energy bill and it's up 100%, when you go to fill up your gas tank or if you're a truck driver and diesel costs more. Uh, yesterday I was out in Georgia and they were telling me how much everything, uh, their prices going up almost daily in restaurants because they're paying almost more daily from deliveries. So that's your personal economy, but that is the breaking news. We are technically in a recession. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I was wondering if we could also expect him to be bringing up um, issues regarding uh, fentanyl exports from China and regarding the origins of COVID-19 as well. I think, as I said, there's going to be a range of issues. Really? Range of issues? Uh, That should be first and foremost. You don't even skirt that issue. And I'm talking about the conversation going on right now between President Xi and President Biden of, of course, President Xi of China. Uh, Biden will have to speak and he'll have to speak candidly for once. Will the speaker, will he actually bring up the fact that the speaker's going to Taiwan? I'm sure that'll come up from China's agenda. Speaker Pelosi has to go. She said she wanted to. They're an ally. Don't cast aside what the Pentagon says, Ms. Speaker. Grab a Republican and go to Taiwan. Number two. I never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Not true. Hunter's antics are now beginning to stain Joe, but it will take a midterm red wave for it to leave a true political mark. I'll bring you the latest mind-boggling revelations. Number one. It's decreased 0.9%. The first quarter estimate, final estimate, was 1.6% decrease. Now we have a first estimate of the second quarter decrease of 0.9%. So if you look at the common definition of a recession, that is a recession for the first half of this year. 
spin city. That's what the administration's doing as they redefine a recession. We don't. And let us know how great the economy is by you or isn't great. But isn't it slowing down and interest rates are going up? They tell us that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, Joe Manchin mysteriously caves. Details are coming your way. And I'll talk about that with Chad and what it means. But yesterday it caught just about everybody by surprise. When Joe Manchin decides he cut a deal and announced with Chuck Schumer to put out a $700 billion what they claim is a deficit reduction bill. Wait a second. We print $700 billion worth of money. We weaponize the IRS. We incentivize people to buy electric cars by giving them money that we don't have. And Joe Manchin seems to have given a major win technically to the left wing of his party. But I ask you, no one check with Cinema, no one check with Kelly, no one check with Hassan, no, no one check with, uh, with Senator Masto of Nevada. What is going on here? Why do people not understand that spending during a recession has never got us out of recession and certainly doesn't control inflation? So we are just looking at now a negative 0.9% growth. So to me, that feels like a recession. For Stephen Moore with Neil Cavuto yesterday, the Wall Street seemed to embrace the Fed coming out and upping rates 0.75% and not more. But the question is, what does this feel like to you? Here's economist Stephen Moore. Cut 10. I think we're in a soft recession right now with with contractionary growth. But he's also right that it's a really strong employment number. So we've had this kind of strange, almost full employment recession. And I'll tell you what I think is the underlying weakness where uh, Jerome Powell and Joe Biden and, and members of Congress are missing the picture. This is what I call a cost of living recession. So the average worker, because of this high inflation, Neil, has lost somewhere between three and $5,000 in purchasing power this year because of this high inflation. And that is why you're getting these terrible numbers on the economy, because Americans are feeling it every time they go to the grocery store and the gas pump. Gasoline up a year to year, 60%. Airfare, 34%. Cereal, 15%. Meat and poultry, 4, 10%. Uh, fruit and vegetables, 8%. Used cars, 7%. So maybe you didn't need to get the GDP number to find out how your family's dealing with it. McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Huggies, among the major brands, to hike their prices. So these are practical goods that really affect how you live your life. And we're hoping that Washington will help make your life better. And Joe Manchin, who, you know, I'm his biggest fan. He's helped uh, make sure the court was impact. Uh, he made sure D.C. Uh, and Puerto Rico were in a state without any Republican support. He also made sure we didn't pass a $4 trillion Build Back Better bill deal, which this to me seems to be an unforced error. This will spend now $433 billion if you add in some of the other items in this $700 billion uh, on energy and climate provisions, $64 billion extending Obamacare subsidies, tax credits for buying electric cars. And they say they're going to use some of the money as they weaponize the IRS to mess with your tax return to pay down the debt. No one ever pays down the debt with money. Senator Cinema said, what's going on here when told about this deal? And I'm just wondering if all these other people are going to feel the same way. Everybody's got to be on board. Remember, would you sacrifice six more years in office if it's a job you really thought you could contribute to that you wanted for President Biden's spend more agenda? Larry Summers mysteriously thinks this bill will help inflation. Cut 14. First, this reduces budget deficits. And so by reducing budget deficits, it reduces the level of uh, demand uh, in the economy. Second, this reduces prices. 
directly by going after prescription uh, drugs and getting lower prices and a better deal for taxpayers when they purchase uh, prescription drugs. Third, this increases uh, supply by stimulating energy production and by subsidizing and supporting our energy transition to uh, renewables. So less demand, more uh, supply, and direct better bargaining for lower prices those are the things that are involved in reducing inflation. Yeah, okay. Energy insecurity and climate change, $369 billion. That is so vague. The last thing we need is more subsidies to make solar panels that we can't throw out or batteries where we can't get the rare earth. And in the middle of a energy crisis, which is where we're basically in right now, if you look at what we're paying at the pump, historic highs, even with the decrease of 40 cents. Really? Now we're transitioning spending money into renewables when we don't have electric cars and chips to make them. There was a chip deal signed yesterday that's going to bring manufacturing back here artificially because it's got to be government sponsored. We can debate that. But one thing was clear. Republicans signed off on it because Joe Manchin said Build Back Better was put on hold. After they did the chip deal, Joe Manchin announced the deal. That is diabolical. And I would say the same thing if this was under the Trump administration and Republicans did it to Democrats because it poisons the well in a way that gets extremely personal. Because when you feel like you were duped and it hurts not only the people you work for, but your reelection chances, uh, that is going to really anytime you say anything from here on in, people are not going to believe it. Okay, are we in a recession? How does it feel? We'll find out. Chad Pergram on how all this is resonating in Washington as they try to get set to celebrate their summer month off, and they'll be back in September. Then Julie Banderas at the bottom of the hour. Your calls to 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a good bill. This is an important step forward on inflation, which has been my preoccupation this last year. It's historic on the environment. It's going to make our society more fair 
and equal at long last, getting rid of the carry interest loophole. It's going to take important steps forward on access to health care, and it's going to invest in the future of our country. So this is a very strong bill. Uh, that is Larry Summers, who's been a critic of this administration, happy with what Joe Manchin passed or put forward that they think will get every Democrat to vote for it on a simple majority bill. And the, the parliamentarian signs off on it will pass a mini bill back better. Chad Pergram joins us now, Fox News congressional correspondent. Chad, did this catch you by surprise? I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because, you know, we thought just a few weeks ago, uh, we're talking like July 18th, that this was put to bed. Uh, That said, I always thought and said this on the air a couple of times over the past, you know, year and a half, that you don't create a budget reconciliation vehicle. That's the actual parliamentary tool that you can only use, you know, twice for a, a Congress, one for each fiscal year to go around a filibuster and pass something that is fiscal in nature. You don't get that vehicle ready and then burn it and don't do something with it. And I always said and reported and had been told that they'd probably do something with this eventually. Well, guess what? Here they are. I I think people were a little bit surprised at how quickly that this may have come together here. Now, the plan is to try to move this to the Senate next week. You just need 50 votes and presumably uh, Vice President Harris breaking the tie. Uh, Joe Manchin has been out with COVID. Guess who tested positive here in the past 40 minutes? Dick Durbin, the Democratic whip. Uh, You've also had on the Republican side, Lisa Murkowski has been out. Senator Patrick Leahy, the Democratic senator from Vermont, has been out all summer after two surgeries. He fell and had hip surgery. As I always say, Brian, it's about the math. So right now it's about the math, and they don't have the votes to pass this, even if they, they think they can get this done. They have to do it in person? Oh, yes. You see, that's that's the other interesting thing. The Senate has resisted this idea of remote voting during the pandemic. The House put that in pretty quickly and has renewed that. Uh, the Senate has never gone to that. So, you know, you're operating down, you know, you know, four or five people right now. Uh, and if the plan was to move this next week and then maybe bring the House of Representatives back the week after that, middle of August, see, all of this is going to be contingent upon COVID, frankly. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. So Jake Sherman uh, put this out from Punchbowl. He said, a heads up to the Hill Press Corps. Senate Democrats have barred reporters from staking out the room in which they are discussing the reconciliation package. Don't waste your time going. Well, the, the parliamentarian's office is where is downstairs uh, on the first floor. Uh, Elizabeth McDonough, the Senate parliamentarian, where they're going through what they call the bird bath. This is where they actually go through the bill and make sure it complies with these special budget rules so you can bypass a filibuster once. Uh, I've never heard anybody say that. I want to see exactly where they're referring to that. Now, Schumer's office, is back in a in a hallway off the Senate chamber there, where they've always you know kind of been a little res- restrictive of reporters going back there. The rule was uh, is that you just have to keep moving; you just can't go there and stand. Uh, in fact, Helen Dewar, the late Helen Dewar, who was a congressional correspondent for the Washington Post, sometimes that's referred to as the Helen Dewar rule because she would go through there uh, when the majority leader's office was located there and walk very slowly, kind of shuffle along. And they finally said, you just can't stand back there. You have to keep moving. So if I ever go back through there, I kind of make sure I'm moving or going back and forth or going to the elevator and going down one floor, coming back upstairs. Okay. uh, So what is in this that we know in layman's terms? The carried interest loophole is gone. That'll save $14 billion. 
Total investments, $433 billion. The IRS is going to, the IRS is going to be weaponized, and they think they're going to collect $124 billion. I guess they're going to suddenly realize people are cheating on their taxes, and I can guarantee I know who they're going to go for. Energy and security and climate change, $369 billion. So this adds up to $700 billion. And Larry Summers says, I can support it because it's paid for. In what respect is it paid for? Well, if you're going to use the budget reconciliation process, Again, this is the only way the Democrats can move Build Back Better or this or anything else here is you have to go through reconciliation because you only need a simple majority, not 60 votes. But the restriction is that the components of that bill have to be fiscal in nature. They cannot just be policy. And also, over a 10-year window, they have to be budget neutral or reduce the deficit. Inherently, this is a budget reconciliation matter. It has to deal with the budget. And so that's why you just can't put straight policy in there. So, yes, when they and there and Brian, here's the other thing. You're dealing with such big numbers, even in a more felt package like this. Sometimes it is so hard to see where, you know, it's all going to balance out. But, you know, if they get reports from the CBO or the Joint Committee on Taxation that say, yeah, this this works within the parameters of budget reconciliation. And Elizabeth McDonough, who I mentioned earlier, the Senate parliamentarian, if she rules, yes, that complies with this, because, again, you're just going on those provided numbers, then that qualifies. Uh, the dirty little secret in Washington, though, Brian, is I have seen oh, dozens of these reconciliation packages go through over the years. And some have actually made uh, small dents in uh, deficit reduction. There was a, a pact a few years ago between Paul Ryan before he was Speaker of the House and also Patty Murray, who was the chair of the Senate Budget Committee at the time, that had some modest, modest uh, deficit reduction. So, you know, sometimes they, they, they put a dent in it. Uh, but most of these things, they, they don't in the long run. And again, because you're dealing with projections, you know, we could have another pandemic or something and they have to spend a lot more money like they did, uh, you know, you know, a couple of years ago. So, I mean, you don't know, you know, you're dealing with just, uh, you know, seeing into the future. So, you know, famously the parliamentarian has struck down provisions that don't have anything to do with the budget and they can't sell on the budget. So is there anything that what you have seen from this mansion Schumer debacle, uh, uh, bill, that would maybe raise the eyebrows of a parliamentarian that could strike it down? Is there anything that doesn't look finance-related? The one area I would start to look at, and because we don't have specific details, and this is where when they go through that process of determining what's in there, it's going to be very, very specific and very granular. The area I would look at is not so much on the regular tax and spend side, uh, not so much even on the uh, you know prescription drugs medicine side, I would look at the environmental stuff because some of that stuff, again, and it depends how it's worded. And if you're if you're dealing with tax credits for doing certain things environmentally, like you know, electronic vehicles, and, you know, tax credits for carbon or something like that, then guess what? You know, you're probably within the ballpark. But if some of those things start to creep too close to policy, that's a tr- that's the trouble area, and that could be the issue. You know, so maybe even some of that gets scaled down a little bit less. I mean, they're looking at. $360, $370 billion in some form that goes toward environmental policy. So is there – I mean, do you think that Senator Kelly, Senator uh, Masto, Senator Hassan, who are in tough re-election, Senator Warnock, and kind of want to push away from the president, might say to themselves, this is going to hurt my chances? Uh, because if I well, spend more during a recession, I, and, you know, and could this hurt – and I might have to walk away from this? Well, we don't know yet. I mean, this thing is so brand new. It, you know, it, it's barely 15 hours old. Uh, you know, what, what few people have talked about is where does Senator Sinema, Kirsten Sinema, the Democrat from Arizona, stand on this? Um, you know, you talk about Warnock and some others, uh, 
you know, they have to look closely at this. You know, there's, it seems like anytime you have a big bill like this, sometimes there are members who pop up and there are problems, and sometimes they have to go and address individual issues or, or language in a bill to get them on board. Because, again, they're going to have to have all 50 senators, so they're going to have to have universal buy-in here to get this done. The problem for some of those vulnerable Democrats facing competitive races this fall is that they are going to be tagged by Republicans who are just laying in the the weeds ready to do this to pounce and say, look, it's a tax and spend bill. Uh, Here you go again. That's a problem. Hey, uh, Chad, thanks for the instant analysis. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. Julie Banderas coming up next, and then we'll take your phone calls. 1-866-408-7669. Changing the definition of everything. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. They're getting multiple whistleblowers coming forward with lots of very useful information. And one of those is a communication between James Gilead, who had links to MI6. He is having a panicked conversation which ensued on the very day that the New York Post, we first broke the first story from the laptop, which is three weeks before the presidential election. This communication has James Gilead talking to an unnamed person about what would happen if Hunter Biden, Joe Biden and Joe Biden's campaign basically threw their partners under the bus. This was the concern that was being raised in multiple phone calls and sort of messages between various people who were involved with Hunter Biden. So this thing is moving. Uh, So the laptop keeps on giving, the cloud keeps on giving, and we're getting more and more information about Hunter Biden's international antics and how the president was indeed read in. So this James Gillar, the former British Special Forces officer, I know, where did he come from, uh, gets a text from an unnamed person. Uh, Officer, text text message to an unnamed person. We'll find out soon. Hunter, they were concerned, first the premise, they were concerned that as more exposure went on Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, that they were going to be thrown under the bus. And they said, here's what they worried about. Will they actually use their names and say I wasn't involved? So this is what they write. Hunter and Joe uh, would try to make it, oh, we were never involved and would try to basically make us collateral damage, meaning Gillar and this other person. Gillar went on to say, I don't see how this would work, though. Think in that scenario, if he wins the election, we would we would just leave a sleeping – think that if he wins, they would just leave a sleeping dog's lie. If they lose, honestly, I don't think the big guy really cares about that because he'll be too busy focusing on all other uh, things, the things that he is doing. So – Essentially saying, don't worry about it. The Bidens would have more to lose regardless if they were to expose, if these deals were to get exposed, if they threw us under the bus. And I'm pretty sure these guys are indicating that they would not take the fall. What's pretty amazing is Hunter Biden gets alerted by his financial advisor. There's been over 100 red flags on your business dealings from various banks, meaning they could be illegal international transactions. For example, what he's doing in Mexico, what he's doing in China, what he's doing in Romania, what he was doing with oligarchs in Russia. Now, as we know, as Tony Bobolinsky has said in the past, that Joe Biden knew about everything, everything that was happening. And he's labeled and referred to in all these scenarios as the big guys. Here is an example. If they lose, I honestly don't think the big guy really cares about 
what uh, because he'll be do too focused on what he has to do. The identity of the big guy has formed uh, formed part of the grand jury investigation into Willington, Delaware, into Hunter Hunter Biden's dealings. That's what they say in theory. As calls ramped up to have President Biden, who has repeatedly denied any involvement in his son's dealings, including conspiracy probe, I sense. Unless the Republicans get control of the House and the Senate, or the House for sure, nothing's going to move. But it's more than likely they will. And already House Republicans are demanding answers from President Biden's son, uh, son's financial advisor. His name is Edward Prewitt. On his business deals, he is the one that flagged, that, that told Hunter that his transactions have been flagged by banks, including Wells Fargo. Usually if there's one or two, that's a big deal. Manafort, there was one or maybe two. This guy's got over 100. 150 transactions of his business feelings have been plagued by very, uh, flagged by various U.S. banks as what they call as SARS, suspicious activity reports. So there is text messages between his financial advisor and him. And if the big guy is listed as somebody to benefit from these deals, how could it not go to the president? And what's the big deal? Because they're trading on the family name, which is a violation, on a sitting vice president, which is a violation, and then he's profiting, which is a violation. And then the vice president, four years later, becomes president. And you wonder, how many governments who know this, who could destroy him, will hold it over his head, including China? That's what makes it a big deal. Very big deal. More from Miranda Devine, Cut 20. They had nothing to offer except the Biden name, which was used basically by President Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative to open doors around the world where the Chinese Communist government wanted to buy up infrastructure and basically trap countries in, in, uh, in debt. And so um, when, when Joe Biden was getting 10, you know, was allocated, supposedly the big guy, 10% of a deal, um, this is just part of a lot of evidence on the laptop, which might suggest that uh, Joe Biden was actually profiting from some of these deals. All right. So do you understand what's going on here? People looking at text messages, uh, seeing that Joe's involvement, they're being concerned. There's an investigation has to happen. Something separate. A whistleblower has come forward and talked about how the FBI have been told to really bury the Hunter Biden story before and, and since the election minimize his massive violations and how it may or may not link back to the president of the United States. A no-nonsense guy like Senator Chuck Grassley and Senator Johnson, who people like to label as somebody who's very political, but is actually a guy who has spent his life in plastics, becoming a self-made multi-millionaire. I want you to hear what Chuck Grassley says he's hearing. Cut 18. When it come to Hunter Biden, with plenty of concrete information, it was shut down. It's pretty simple. We have evidence that some of these people have exhibited this political bias over a long period of time, because there's a guy by the name of Tebow that the whistleblowers told me about. I took it directly to Ray. Uh, I guess he had done this when we issued a press release on it, but I talked to him about it to thank him because he moved that guy out of the decision-making of which uh, investigation should go ahead and which one should be stopped. But that gives you an example of political bias, and it hurts uh, the integrity of the FBI. I would think so. More on this from Senator Johnson, also on with Sean Hannity last night on TV. Now we're finding out from these whistleblowers that the FBI actually had 
you know, I don't know what you would call it, but individuals uh, specifically taking derogatory information about against Hunter Biden, downgrading it to end the investigations. Were they, were they responsible talking to their intelligence sisters of the 51 intelligence officials that came forward and engaged in their own information operation when they said that Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop uh, had all the earmarks of a Russian information operation? Uh, this is dirty. This is corrupt. We need answers. And I'm going to say this. I am the biggest critic of Russia, but, you know, you have relations with countries that have dicey relationships, dictatorships in Africa, and certainly in the Middle East, uh, case in point, Saudi Arabia. Why would you make up a scenario that involves one of our rivals slash enemies, Russia, falsely? So they're making up this is classic Russian disinformation. They wrongly accused a nation that we just really disparage on a regular basis, not because of the people, because of their government. And now, years later, it turns out that's totally fictitious. So they had an operation at the FBI, going to this whistleblower, which logic tells you is 100% right, to blame Russia for disinformation put on a laptop to help color the election for Donald Trump. Turns out the laptop was real. The New York Post story was right. Russia had nothing to do with it. I'm not into apologizing to a nation, but think about this. Russia's sitting over there going, yeah, we're diabolical. They are. We look at America as evil. But all of a sudden, they're watching all this misinformation and being blamed for things that I don't even have anything to do with. Does anyone think about how it relates to our international relations? Don't you think Russia has a conversation with Turkey, has a conversation with Iran and go, yeah, guys, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to screw with America. But they're actually making stuff up they had nothing to do with using us as the enemy anyway. But Hunter's the problem. But the big issue is that the president knew about it. And I bring this up, and I'm calling myself naive. At one point, if I'm President Obama, and I'm sitting around with Michelle, and I go, let me get to the bottom of Hunter Biden. He was a problem in the White House. What is he involved in? He was involved with Romania, China. He was over in China. He was over in Hungary. He was dealing over in Serbia, in Ukraine, on the family name, with a government position that I gave his father. When I'm asking his father to do these important positions, he's out there trying to make money. I I know a lot of you are saying I'm sure President Obama knew about it. I actually don't think so. I really don't think so. Keep in mind, Joe Biden's been in those halls 30 years, 30 years more experience than President Obama at that time, who was only in the Senate for a term, not even a full term, and didn't really know his way around the halls, didn't even like the chamber. But it seems like Joe Biden was an expert on all things that I think brings you to the edge, brings you to the edge of... Uh, legality. So this is going to get bigger, especially if Joe Biden's numbers stay low. You watch. Democrats will stop protecting him. And we'll say I told you so, but it wouldn't matter. one 408 I'll come back with your calls in just a moment. A lot more to cover today. In case you do not know, it's not great news, but it's news you need to know. For the second consecutive quarter, our economy did not grow. It decreased 0.9%. It decreased last quarter over 1%. That equals a recession. This administration is trying to tell us it's not. We know better. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
this guy, Victor Boot, is bad news. Um, if you're not familiar with him and his background, you can Google him, B-O-U-T. Um, he is not only an arms dealer, he has American blood on his hands. Uh, when I was commander of U.S. Southern Command, he was captured in 2008, and we were celebrating because he was the one supplying weapons to the FARC, the terrorists in Colombia, killing Americans. And so, um, as as Tony Blinken said, these are never easy decisions. Uh, the president has to weigh this. But I think uh, he is doing everything he can to bring these Americans home, understandably. So that is James Servetus, the admiral. And he's talking about the man, the prisoner exchange, Brandy Griner and Whalen, who were taken erroneously, kept, uh, kept in Russian prisons, and now are working on a prisoner swap. Evidently, the secretary of state offered uh, Victor Boot who people have sacrificed their lives to arrest. He's an international arms dealer. And as the admiral said, this guy profiles one of the worst people on the planet, selling to our enemies guerrillas uh, in the hills of Colombia uh, to uh, take out our special forces in Africa. And when we got him, this is a major victory. I mean, to not to consult to somebody on a prisoner swap, I didn't think that was, I thought that was standard. Evidently, no one even knows about this. And the Russians aren't even anxious to do it. Of course, this is a big da- this is big news to the Russians. Now, it's also been speculated that this guy's even more valuable to the Russians because he knows how he was caught, he knows how he was questioned. He knows what we cared about with our inter- interrogation practices, and he may or may not be candid about what he told us, but as candid as he can be, he would actually run down. Do you think the Whalen or Griner be able to tell us anything about Russia except for how cruel they are? I want both these people back. But I think we have to think about what we're doing here. And now, every time we get a valuable operator from any of our enemies, whether it's Iran, Russia, and China, we know they can get him back. All they have to do is capture one of our innocent people. Maybe they'll go grab our ambassador when he goes out to the deli, put some drugs in his pocket, and say, this guy was trafficking drugs. And that'll be the story with China. We know what Russia's capable of. We know that they got these mysterious guys that jump out of cars and just beat up U.S. officials and get out before they could find out uh, how they're uh, being recognized. So I think this, people have to slow down and expose what this prisoner swap will look like. And don't get all caught up in the moment. Because obviously being in Russia is dangerous. Playing in Russia is now going to be forbidden for soccer players, volleyball players, and basketball players. Women who go there to make a lot of money uh, in those professional leagues. So today, in case you do not know, right now it's happening. I don't think it's over yet. President Xi and President Biden were speaking. At which time... Uh, John Kirby was asked, what are they going to be talking about? So fentanyl? South China Sea? What could you tell us for sure they'll be talking about? You're not going to believe it. Or maybe you will. Cut 23. The president's looking forward to his discussion with President Xi here in coming days. Uh, There is an awful lot on the agenda in this one of the most consequential bilateral relationships we have in the world is with China. And there's an awful lot on the plate to talk about. The president wants to focus on those items on the agenda, things like climate change, things like tensions in the Indo-Pacific, things like Russia's unprovoked war in Ukraine. That's what he's focused on. What? Climate change? You're not talking about fentanyl that's giving to cartels, that's killing uh, millions of Americans, young and old? Do it for the do it, Mr. President, for your own votes, your own party. Cut twenty four. Climate change, really? 
climate change is absolutely going to be on the list when he talks to, to, to China. Uh, but I didn't I wasn't trying to give you the list in you know order of importance. I was just trying to go through a lot of the different items that are going to be on the agenda when he has a chance to talk to President Xi again. This will be their fifth conversation. It's an important, consequential relationship. Climate change. Yeah, if you want to buy solar panels, evidently we allowed them to become the manufacturing hub for solar panels. The other big story is we have no place to throw them out. We can't safely do it, put them into uh, garbage dumps because of their metals, and they they poison the ground. Are we just going to arbitrarily shoot them into space? If everyone's got a solar panel, we upgrade the solar panels, and they do have an expiration date, we have no idea how to throw them out. We have no idea how to throw out these batteries either with their lithium and the other rare metals that make up these batteries. But now we're going to talk about climate change. Can you imagine the left, laughter that must be going on with China as they harass our fighter jets and our ships at sea, as they try to influence our, our, our uh, allies in Africa, Central America and South America with their Belt and Road program, try to use their influence around the globe using their dollars, and then later when they can't pay them back, extorting those nations? And now, I hope, he's not going to try to convince and say, I'll convince Speaker Pelosi not to go to Taiwan. That's a weakness only second to the way we left Afghanistan in terms of damaging. Senator Tom Cotton, who offered to go with Nancy Pelosi, said this, cut 26. The leak of Nancy Pelosi's trip came straight from the White House. The pressure came from Joe Biden, who doesn't want her to take this trip because he's once again kowtowing to Beijing. But Lloyd Austin and Joe Biden shouldn't be worried about China's aggressiveness. They should be making China worry about our aggressiveness. For decades, American lawmakers have been traveling to Taiwan of both parties, and that should continue now, especially after it became public. I actually saw Speaker Pelosi last night, and I told her it was absolutely essential that she go forward to this trip, no matter what Joe Biden says. I, I do, too. I mean, don't you? Don't you understand? Nobody wants a confrontation. But anytime you show weakness, you invite that a confrontation. We owe it to future generations as well as the current one. Right now, we're superior to China. They're able to pour all these money, the monies into their military because they could care less about social programs. No one's voting for a legitimate election. They repress their people, lock up their people that test positive for this virus. Do you know that they've locked up another million people in Wuhan? So they're able to take the money that we put into our social programs and supplement uh, various uh, schooling, uh, schools and colleges. That money just goes to building more aircraft carriers, uh, more missile shields, a hypersonic program, and now their own space station. They're looking to weaponize and maybe to dominate half of the moon. No joke, if I could steal the president's phrase. So that's why it's important to stand up to him now. And it may be a little thing. The Speaker of the House was going to go to Taiwan. Now she was told it would upset the Chinese and she canceled. It only invites additional weakness because we're not dealing with somebody who thinks like us. We're dealing with somebody that thinks about anything that's not in our interest is in theirs. Don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Please get dressed. Not a joke. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York and Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Hopefully resonating with the Ukraine. Senator Jody Ernst will be with us at the bottom of the, excuse me, at at, uh, 45 after. 
Ward Carly uh, in between. Kind of interesting uh, scenario there. Uh, Ward is the president of Equal Rights for All Political Action Committee. Uh, he's also the president of the American Civil Rights Institute and a former regent at the University of California. Uh, he's speaking up about his opposition to reparations for black Californians. Yeah, that's how much money they have. They're just handing out reparations for something that hasn't that happened 200 plus years ago, which I'm pretty sure there is no uh, there is nobody around from back then. If they were, I'd have a different stance on it. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst and Mark Thiessen standing by. We do have the news that's relatively new, that for the second consecutive quarter, we have had a negative result on the GDP, therefore equaling recession. But once again, you can't believe your eyes or the numbers when it comes to this administration. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I was wondering if we could also expect him to be bringing up um, issues regarding uh, fentanyl exports from China and regarding the origins of COVID-19 as well. I think, as I said, there's going to be a range of issues. Range of issues. That should be the first issue. John Kirby, critical time for the, uh, America. As President Biden and President Xi uh, have a chance to talk, and they're talking right now. It may have just wrapped up. One of the topics, Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. They cannot be canceled, but I fear will be because, get this, the Pentagon wants it canceled. Number two. Never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Does anyone believe that? Now we know for sure. Hunter's antics are now beginning to stain Joe, but it will take a midterm red wave for it to leave a true political mark. I'll bring you the latest mind-boggling revelations. Number one. It's decreased 0.9%. The first quarter estimate, final estimate, was 1.6% decrease. Now we have a first estimate of the second quarter decrease of 0.9%. So if you look at the common definition of a recession, that is a recession for the first half of this year. Spin City. That's what the administration's doing is they redefine a recession. We don't. And let us know how great the economy is. But isn't it showing, isn't it slowing down and interest rates are going up? And aren't they doing it intentionally? Doesn't that hurt the everyday person? Oh, yeah, Joe Manchin mysteriously caves. And now we're spending $700 billion in an inflationary cycle, something he said he couldn't sign off on. Joining us now to make sense of it, if it's indeed possible, Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, uh, where do you want to start? I'm not that good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I overestimated you. Thanks for calling. We're going to get somebody else. Mark, I never, I never saw an administration that looks at reality and wants you to not believe what you're seeing and living. For example, Afghanistan was a success. What is a woman? What is a man? We'll change that definition. What should be taught and when? We'll change. We'll mislabel that. Jim Crow 2.0. That's election reform as it looks in Georgia. Nothing close. And then when it comes to recession, they told us leading up to today that the two consecutive quarters, negative growth is not a recession for the first time in history. Do you believe it? No, I don't believe it. I mean, look, the the this this, this the, Joe Biden lies more than almost any other president, and that's saying something coming after after uh, after uh, four years of Donald Trump. Uh, he it, it just everything is is spin. And the problem is, is that when 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 a president says things that are not comporting with the lived reality of Americans, this is why his poll numbers are so low. 
It's, if, if you would just if he would just acknowledge it, you know, every time he comes out and makes an economic statement, it says we have great low unemployment and everything's great and we're doing all these great accomplishments and all the rest of it. Instead, you come out and you say, look, I know Americans are hurting. I know inflation is really bad. Uh, we're going through a tough time right now, but here's what we're doing to fix it. Then people would listen to you. But when you go out, when you go on for, for the last 10 recessions, when there was the declared recession, it was when, when there were two consecutive quarters of negative growth, everyone agreed it was a recession. And now all of a sudden, there's a, for the first time in 10 recessions, they're saying uh, it's not one. Most people look at that and say, you know what? Yeah, we're in a recession. It's not good. Negative growth is a recession. Right. It's, 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 I don't understand. It's like, it's like Orwell is running the, uh, running the Biden administration. You're the speechwriter, but this is the way I would handle it. Whether we're in a recession technically or not, as president of the United States, I'm handling it like it's a recession because I look at what you're paying for everything that you do. And that to me is something I have to address regardless of what the GDP comes in at. And that's fine. You know, and it could, to me, it blunts the blow, but now they tell us, Everything's great, and, and uh, recession, the old definitions don't work. Here's the anything for inspirational Brian Deese, the director of National Economic Council, cut six. The definition of recession, which has been an issue that I know many of you have uh, reported on, um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. Really? In 2008, he's on the record saying, Brian Deese himself, that two consecutive quarters of negative growth is a recession. And everybody knows it. So what do you think this approach is? Because they're not bound by anything they've said before. And look, most Americans are not economists. They're, They're running their own households and they can tell that they're hurting. Right. So, you know, the, 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 my definition of, of, of uh, recession is the is Ronald Reagan's old definition to paraphrase Ronald Reagan is that a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose jo- your job and a recovery is when when Joe Biden loses his job. <laughs> that's that's the definitions we need going forward. Uh, this is you know, the, the Americans are look, they, they they keep talking. They go out and they say, well, wages are rising. They've risen 5.5 percent or whatever the number is on, on my watch. Inflation's at 9.1 percent. What, what, what Americans are experiencing is the largest collapse in real wages in four decades. You're, everybody's paycheck is worth less, and, and, and it's even worse for people in the lower incomes than it is for higher incomes. So they constantly say things that make them seem completely out of step with what's happening in the, in the country. And as a result, I mean, got poll, Quinnipiac poll had, has Biden's approval at like 28 percent now. I mean, he's the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling, going back to Harry Truman. Because of stuff right. like this. And by the way, Harry Truman bounced back, but at least he was true to his school. He never would have done this. I want to bring you to a couple of things. Gasoline's up 60%. Airfares are up 34%. Cereal, 15 Meat, 10 Fruit and vegetables up 8 Gas up, I think I said 60 Used cars up 7%. McDonald's, Coke, and, uh, and Huggies diapers are all major brands that have hiked prices. Yesterday, I was out in Georgia, and I was just talking to this at a cafe. And he said, Brian, my, I had to hike my prices 60%. Every time I get a delivery, I'm paying more. And I have to immediately convert it to my customer, to my menu, because I don't have much of a margin. 
Most yeah. restaurants don't. So if they see up, they look up at our show or another network and it says, new definition of recession, not in a recession, they laugh. They go, but not only do I don't feel my pain, they're trying to tell me I don't have any or they don't care that I do. Uh, another thing uh, I like to bring up is the Joe Manchin situation. I know we don't know exactly what happened, but here's a guy that stood up to packing the court, stood up to build back better $4 trillion, stood up to making Puerto Rico and D.C. a state, stood up to the, uh, blowing up the filibuster. But yesterday he surrendered and revised the social spending package. He agreed to sign off on roughly $700 billion. They're trying to tell us it's paid for. On first blush, what do you think about this, Mark Thiessen? So first of all, everything you said about Joe Manchin is right. I mean, he saved this country in so many ways. So I'm I'm hesitant to to beat him up for this, uh, even though I think it's a terrible idea because he the, the things could be so much worse. I mean, they would they the, the reason we have the inflation right now is because they passed a 1.9 trillion dollar uh, COVID uh, social spending disguised as COVID relief bill, right? And then Joe Manchin saved us from from uh, from Build Back Better, which would have which would have, was three point five trillion dollars would have made it even worse, right? So if 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 we if the difference in spending is from three point five to seven hundred seven hundred billion, I, I guess we pocket that as a win. However, you know the uh, that that that's the broader perspective. However, you know it's it, the Republicans were going to block this China chips bill about uh, over this. And they they got uh, where the, uh, McConnell was basically told that Manchin had killed this bill. And so he let the chips bill go. And literally hours later, they announced this. So this was a rope-a-dope by the Democrats. They knew that they were planning to do this even before they had the vote on the chips bill. Um, and Joe Manchin went along with that. So he's, you know, he's the champion of bipartisanship, uh, but he just did a rope-a-dope on his, on his Republican allies. I think you're being kind, rope-a-dope. I would think they just pulled a rug out from under them, stabbed him in the back. Because, you know, there's a, there's an understanding that, you know, there's times when these parties have to fight and there's times when they thought they could get along. Now the distrust uh, is is yeah. everywhere. They'll never t- – yeah. this is – for this scenario, they're done. So yeah. now they, they, they had the gun bill. They had the infrastructure bill. Now they had the chips bill where they both feel as okay, as bad as it is, it's necessary. And a lot of people, like, for example, Senator Kennedy says his chips bill is terrible – and he signs off on it. Then they go ahead and go, aha. So, so surprising was this. Senator Sinema said she had no idea about it. And one of yeah, the things well, in this, it, Mark, though. yeah, one of the things in this, Mark, is this, um, is this uh, interest rate, uh, this interest rate bill that they were going, the interest rates that they were going to this loophole that they were, they're going to close now that she did not want to do, that she would not sign off on. And there's a lot of people in battleground states that might not sign off on this. It might hurt them. Do you think they're getting ahead, getting the cart ahead of the horse? Well, first of all, it's entirely possible that if cinema wasn't brought into this. It's, it's called the carried rate, the carried interest it. rate. Yeah, yeah, it, it's entirely possible that she will not vote for this, in which case it doesn't pass. And now the you know it, it's entirely possible that they won't get the chips bill or or this bill because of this rope a dope because of this uh, that. I mean, I mean, look, if you think about this, the reason we have the inflation is because of one point nine trillion dollars in spending. We're now going to add seven, almost $800 billion in more spending, which is going to hurt inflation. And we're going to pay for it by raising taxes on businesses. How? Who, I don't know if there's ever been a president who on the same day that, the, that we declared a recession announced a plan to raise taxes on business. How, so it's, it's literally making everything worse. 
Uh, and then, and <laughs> the, the, and people the, don't learn their lessons. And they it's don't a famous uh, energy security and climate change, $369 billion. Who knows what's in that? After having to see Al Gore this Sunday, I'm still not emotionally over it as he goes and singing <laughs> the praises of himself, even though his movie has proved, proved to be uh, labeled fiction. However, to my surprise, even though he was for Build Back Better, believe it or not, because he said it helped social spending, listen to how Larry Summers characterized the mansion bill. Cut 13. This is a good bill. This is an important step forward on inflation, which has been my preoccupation this last year. It's historic on the environment. It's going to make our society more fair and equal at long last, getting rid of the carried interest loophole. It's going to take important steps forward on access to health care, and it's going to invest in the future of our country. So this is a very strong bill. Were you surprised at that? I am a little bit, but I mean, Larry Summers is a Democrat, so I, whenever he says something that uh, that uh, uh, that criticizes the Democrats, they 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 immediately dismiss him and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. But apparently now he does. Uh, so you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, he he's the guy who predicted uh, that the 1.9 trillion dollar bill before it was passed would unleash inflation we haven't seen in a generation, and the Democrats don't even accept even today that he was right. Uh, so, you know, I, I love seeing them now promote, you know, citing Larry Summers about how wonderful this bill is uh, when they won't live, when they don't acknowledge that he was right about the about their uh, their spending bill and the, and the inflation it caused. Is there a downside to letting Medicare uh, negotiate with directly with drug companies? You know, that's a, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I, we were it's a it's, it's, the the. Pharmaceutical industry just saved our country. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they they came out and 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 produced this these vaccines in record time in a way that 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 has allowed us to have our lives back. So on one hand, but on the other hand, a lot of people you know are just frustrated with the with the high cost of of, of prescription drugs. Uh, so you know, it's 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 a very tough call. It is. Uh, they say that uh, what they got to do is allow these these companies to be able to bring in. Um, venture capital in order to approach yeah. this like a capitalist uh, 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 venture, which we need it because that's yeah, the way it I has mean, to be. It's a win-win for everybody. Is, do you want innovation in the pharmaceutical industry? Do you want people doing uh, what they for for other diseases what they did to stop the stop the COVID pandemic with the, with these vaccines? And the answer is yes. We want them to innovate. And if you and if you if you are if you have government setting prices and and taking away their profits and their ability to get to make money. Which is not a crime, uh, then uh, then the, they won't do that, and there'll be no innovation. I mean, there's a reason why uh, the our vaccines work and Sinovac and the and the Sputnik vaccine don't, <laughs> because because yeah. we don't want we don't want Sputnik vaccines. We want actual we want real innovative medicine, and that's what we have in this country. And the government getting involved is is not going to help. All right, Mark. I look forward to seeing you all over the channel. Thanks so much, Mark Teeson. Appreciate Take care. it. Bye. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back, take your calls, get you to weigh in, and then welcome in two great guests. Uh, we'll go inside the education, and I want to get Senator Joni Ernst to weigh in on the president, on the Speaker of the House going to Taiwan. Will she acquiesce? Will she cave, like Joe Manchin just did to a degree? Brian Kilmeade Show, giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Millions of Americans have used Paxlovid. 
taking Paxil. He's got mild symptoms. Paxlovid, excuse me. And he took Paxil and is at home. I said that right, Eric? Paxlovid. He's taking Paxil. <laughs> oh, Paxlovid. A uh, Paxlovid. I took me some Plaxivoid, the, uh, the Plaxivid, the platypus polish. I took it. Point is, now I'm uh, easy breezy breathing. And uh, <laughs> where am I? So what was that? It was a little montage Eric put together of both. Oh, you. Eric did it, not Stephen Colbert. No, correct. Yes, I was like, a, wow. It was a, a little bit of everything of, of you and your amazing pronunciation, the President Biden with his pronunciation, and then we ended it with a little Colbert and his pronunciation. So let me ask you, which side is Eric on? Like, <laughs> He's on the side of the listener, whatever's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, oh, that's Stephen Colbert actually listens to the radio show. And I'm like, no, it was my, it's the own staff. You know this is the problem? Our staff is too big. And he's too good. He edited it so smoothly, like, that must have been on network television. Right. If he says, well, as soon as I find somebody who mis- mispronounces as badly as Brian does, I'm going to make a montage. And he found it with the president. <laughs> Thank goodness he's running our country. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, so did you see the president compare, try to compare his recovery to President Trump? Did I, I only read this. But, I, I mean, heard you, about did, it. Do you think it was an attack or do you think he was just trying to, was he... Do you think it was him calling out the president for overreacting to getting a the first initial the first variant of not the first variant the actual original disease? I want to say no, but I feel like he was trying to attack him. And then Colbert actually had a really dumb joke about that too. Like, well, at least Biden didn't go to Walter Reed. I'm like, if there were two different times, like it's so ass. There was no vaccine at the time. I know, and there was no therapeutic at the time. And uh, to me, I said to myself, could he be that crass? You know what the thing is? I believe the political approach is make everything Trump-Biden, get people's mind off the election, off the economy, just take on the evil Trump, and President Biden is comfortable. He's called him out three or four times now. It's the only thing he can remember. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From a common sense perspective, I think reparations for United States slavery and its legacies, Jim Crow with the new Jim Crow, should be for the descendants of U.S. slavery and its legacy, Jim Crow and the new Jim Crow. That's how complicated it is. That's Kamala, uh, Kamala Moore. Uh, chairperson of the California Reparations Task Force. And believe it or not, reparations are, are moving. Here is uh, Ward Connolly, President of Equal Rights for All Political Action Committees. He's president of uh, Ward is president of the American Civil Rights Institute and a former region at the University of California. Ward, where are reparations for the citizens of California now? Are they, are they on the threshold of passing? I don't think so. I, I think that the legislature wants to do something, but they realize they've got a political football on their hands, and many of us, just ordinary citizens, think this is not a good idea. So I don't think anything is going to actually come of it, and if it does, we're going to fight it. Uh, and that's, you, you've taken formal action. You tweeted that Prop 29 could stop any form of reparation for black Californians from happening. In what respect? How? Prop 209 uh, says that you cannot in this state and about nine other states that we've fought in over this over the last 24 years, 
you cannot discriminate against or grant preferential treatment to any citizen on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. Um, and, and if this isn't a preference, I don't know what is. How can you possibly qualify for it? How I mean, it's it's going to be the rare individual that that has a pure background that dates back to slavery. And how does that benefit somebody from something that happened over 200 years ago? Brian, the real the answer to that is that the proponents of this would really like to just uh, distribute benefits to people like me, black people claiming that we've had a rough time in this country and it's time to pay us back. I don't disagree with some of that. We have had a rough time in this country. But we made the conscious decision as a people, the country did, 25 years ago or so, that we had to resolve the issue of race in our country. When we came out of Jim Crow, uh, President Kennedy had said, Race has no place in American life or law. And so we consciously decided to integrate, not have separate institutions, as Malcolm X had proposed. So we've made the decision to integrate. That was a good decision. But there are people now who are looking for another mission, progressives in our country. They don't know where the heck they're going and where they want to go, but they want to transform the country. And in the process, we're dealing with issues that we've already resolved. We've said that we want integration, but people are not comfortable with that. We want to overcome, we've overcome, but they're not comfortable with that. And so what we have is just a mess on our hands. No political leadership, no moral leadership. Uh, Biden is not a leader. He is the problem But that's not to say that President Trump is the solution either, because to a large extent, he is the source of many of our problems that we face right now. We love his policies, but the style of delivering them is problematic for a lot of people. And what you see with reparations, Brian, is the outcome of all of this disarray in the country, and we're going to have to defeat it in California— Because if we don't, it's going to spill over into the rest of the country. People will come here who are not residents of California because they might get some sort of a goodie distributed by the legislature. It's a mess. It's just a mess. So I know what you say. I never thought about that. People coming from the outside to say, yeah, I moved out of the country. My great grandparents were here. I need to pay out and I'll take a I'll take a uh, condo. Uh, here is Assembly, Assemblyman Reggie Jones-Sawyer uh, talking about this very issue, a Democrat from Los Angeles, a member of California's Reparation Task Force. Cut three, four. When you read what has been done in California against African Americans, it's unbelievably eye-opening. We really do need to look at some of the laws that were in place that restricted African Americans to live certain places, that restricted who you could marry. You could not marry out of your race here in California. And so the the vestiges of of slavery that may have started in the South and the East Coast still permeated in California society. So that's the sentiment that you say has no place, right? Right, right. He's not wrong in identifying some of our history, but we do not solve problems 
in our country by passing on to gen- different generations the responsibility of paying for that. My grandkids would be paying for the damage that was done to me, arguing uh, the need for reparations. Where And where does it end? Who's next? Chinese Exclusion Act? How about them? Gays who are saying we have been marginalized? How about them? People who are just now coming to the country from across the southern border are going to argue that illegal immigration has been put around our neck. How about us? We're talking trillions of dollars. More importantly, we're upsetting the fabric of our people. We are a pluralistic society in this country, especially in California. And people came here, my people did, from the deep south because we thought that California was the land of opportunity. Now we're being told that we were living a lie. This is idiocy, and we have to bring a close to it. Here's more from the Assemblyman, Cut 36. There have been things that have gone on in America that have stifled, impeded, or stopped African Americans from really realizing our full potential. It's not all about money. It's about generational change for all African Americans. Is there What's flawed about that reasoning? It's not all about money. It's about generational change. But it is about money. It's about money. And I think that there are some people who see low-hanging fruit there uh, because we're vulnerable as a society. White guilt. Have no political leadership. No moral leadership. Hey, there's some low fruit. Let's get it. And I, I just think that they're flirting with danger here. I know, uh, Ward, I know you are. So uh, are you, you're uh, African-American. What is your background? What is your heritage? What's your, where's your family from? My family is from Leesville, Louisiana. We are a, a bi- multiracial people. Some of my people were Irish. Uh, on my father's side, my one of my great grandparents uh, left the left the uh, ranch and married a slave. Um, on my mother's side, it's it's Irish and Choctaw Indian, no African descent. Therein is a whole nother story. What is race in America? Who's who's been discriminated against? When it reaches the point that the presumed discriminators are going to be paid by those who didn't want slavery at all, such as most people of California, you've reached the land, the the fantasy land here of public policy. And you need some courage to stand up to that and let people say, well, you're being racially insensitive and you don't understand and you're you're denying our past. No, we're not. We're living in the present and we cannot continue to look back uh, the way we are. We study history. I didn't think we were going to judge it the way we are and then ask for cash in return from it. There's there's signs that say Irish need not apply. The Italians formed a mafia because they felt they were being discriminated against and couldn't get a job. They had to form their own protective society. The American Indians uh, constantly say, and they might have a case, they were here first. So that's not the way America was made. America has constantly made progress. We acknowledge where we've been. We acknowledge where we want to go. And I think we're a a country that continues to self-correct. But this, I I 100% agree with you, Ward. Uh, I, I think this is this is a sinkhole that'll could further poison the country. How close is this to passing? 
I don't think it's close right now. Well, I won't say that. It's close. But I think that we can prevent it. And we do have in this country laws that some of us respect. This is not an easy one for me, my friend. I'm going to be called everything that you can imagine by my fellow black Americans. But this is not right. It has long-term ramifications. And if they go forward, we'll try the law because it's a violation of Prop 209, which is in our Constitution. It's seeking to circumvent it by this hokey notion of ancestry. And and it will invite people to come to California uh, in search of that low-hanging fruit, as I described it. But you're a brave guy who doesn't look like you know how to take a backward step. Uh, America's got to get better. First and foremost, you got to love the country, and then everything else will work out. If we could all get on that page, I'd love to go forward together. That would certainly be an equity relief. Never deny Jim Crow happened. Never deny slavery took place. Uh, never deny the, the the mistakes, but also deny the greatness. Don't deny the greatness. Uh, Ward, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Senator Joni Ernst. She pointed out something that happened in Argentina that I had no idea about, and the the Justice Department is ignoring, that has to be recognized. And I want to get her to weigh in on what's at stake if Nancy Pelosi cancels her trip to Taiwan. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I remain concerned, I mean, you've heard me say this before, about the uh, aggressiveness of the PRC and, uh, and the kinds of things that we've been seeing uh, in the region uh, lately. Uh, and so I think we have to be vigilant, uh, you know, throughout, uh, even as we're operating in, the, in, the, in that region. That is Secretary of Defense Austin trying to diplomatically walk back and prevent Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, from going to Taiwan. What a joke. We give the Pentagon billions of dollars to defend our interests. And now they're saying that we should cower and wait for China to approve on trips to visit our ally. This, to me, is unacceptable. Senator Joni Ernst served uh, in the military, is now in the armed forces, uh, serves in the armed forces and small business community, joins us now. Senator I, I fear that Speaker Pelosi's not going to go to Taiwan at this point. If that's the case, how weak will we look? Yeah, Brian, I think you're you're right on this. And, uh, you know, this is a trip that Nancy Pelosi had planned many months ago. It was delayed. For heaven's sakes, let Nancy Pelosi go. You know, I don't normally agree with uh, Speaker Pelosi on, on a whole lot, but I do think that this trip is important. It's important to the Taiwanese that we signal, we are with you, we support you. Uh, so I think it's entirely appropriate that she goes as she had planned many months ago. And we have to get them arms, uh, missile defense systems, to be able to prevent the invasion Ukraine Mm. was late in getting, uh, or else if we gave them the proper systems, they probably would not have been invaded. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw this with Ukraine where we really needed to help bolster their defenses. Instead, this administration was so busy trying to rapidly pull Americans, uh, American soldiers out of Ukraine when we should have been working to get them the equipment they needed to keep Russia out of Ukraine. Well, now we see that similar circumstance going on with Taiwan. And I have heard many a military leader talk about how we need to make Taiwan like a porcupine, you know, give it the defenses so the big Russian bear or the big Chinese bear is not wanting to swallow it. You know, well, let's do it then. Stop all this lip service and actually do it for the people of Taiwan. So, I mean, time, the clock is ticking. So you brought something to my attention I had no idea about. Argentina, you say, has detained a group of Iranians with links to a major terrorist organization, has asked the Department of Justice in the U.S. for help, and so far, Merrick Garland's kids have been unable to even respond because they want to be able to prosecute these guys. If they don't yeah. get any more information and intelligence, they're, they're going to have to let them go. Right. And uh, this here's a little background on this. So uh, early in June, a plan with uh, a plane with a crew that included five Iranians with at, at least one member of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, landed in Argentina. And then the Argentine Federal Police discovered that the cargo contained intelligence technologies and other related military hardware. And so that provide some credible suspicion that they were engaging in malign activities uh, in that region. And so what transpired then is that the Argentine judiciary went through a standard process called the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty Program and requested information from the Justice Department on the potential involvement of the plane and its crew in support of international terrorism. And the DOJ here in the United States, even though we're under this MLAD or the treaty program, has denied assistance. They just ignored it, would not respond. And so a number of my Republican colleagues and I, um, I led this letter to the DOJ just asking them to get involved with the Argentine officials. You know, this is an international terrorism, potentially. We need to be engaged. But my worry is that the Biden administration is so intent on getting this new JCPOA, this new nuclear agreement done with Iran, that they didn't want to push any buttons when it comes to Iran. They just didn't want to upset them. So they didn't engage, even though we're under this treaty with Argentina, they didn't engage because they're trying to appease the Iranian officials. And that's what they did. That's what poisoned relationship with the Saudis, uh, the Houthi rebels taken off the terror list. Uh, that's why we're uh, we're still trying to get a deal. In fact, the president said the other day he's still trying to get a deal. The secretary of state, I should say. But we just speculate on that, right? Could they just be yes. that disjointed of being unable to have it bureaucratically laden, have a few layers there, yeah. stopping Merrick Garland from finding about finding out about this? Yeah, it could be that um, it's just incompetence. 
Um, or it could be that uh, Iran is engaged in nefarious activities and the United States just didn't want to, you know, upset the Iranians any further. Um, but again, this this administration, we're under a treaty obligation with Argentina when it, Argentina when it comes to providing that mutual legal assistance. And for the DOJ to ignore it is an absolute disgrace. It's completely unacceptable. Um, they are one of our major non-NATO allies. And this is exactly why a number of these nations in South America start to turn to China and Russia because the United States is not living up to their obligations. And it's so simple for us to release information to them, again, under this treaty that would help provide evidence in the case that they can use against these Iranians. But so far, our Department of Justice has chosen not to do that. Senator Joni Ernst, uh, always, um, always working. Thanks so much, Senator. Good luck in the congressional baseball game tonight. You bet. Thanks, Brian. Go get him. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. BrianKilmeade.com. Find out when I'll be live. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. I hope they're paying attention. Carl, Congressman Carlos Jimenez will be joining us, and he did a great thing. He went down to the border to see for himself, and he brought other congressmen with him. I even think a couple of Democrats. It is so bad now. I know I feel like I say the same story almost every day, at least three times a week. But it's, it's sacrificing our security. It's sacrificing our social programs and the fabric of our country. And at the beginning, I thought it was ignorance. And now I think it's negligence. And now I believe it's thoroughly intentional. Carlos uh, Yemenes of Florida will be joining us. Carl Rove is standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I was wondering if we could also expect him to be bringing up um, issues regarding uh, fentanyl exports from China and regarding the origins of COVID-19 as well. I think, as I said, there's going to be a range of issues. Yeah, a range of issues, including climate change. John Kirby, critical time for America as President Biden is speaking with President Xi right now and evidently pushing for Speaker Pelosi to not go to Taiwan. That would be a disaster to let China control our foreign policy. Call Rove on that. Number two. I never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Not true. Hunter's antics are now beginning to stain Joe, but it will take a midterm red wave for it to leave a true political mark. I'll ask Carl about that. Number one. It's decreased 0.9%. The first quarter estimate, final estimate, was 1.6% decrease. Now we have a first estimate of the second quarter decrease of 0.9%. So if you look at the common definition of a recession, that is a recession for the first half of this year. Spin City. That's what this administration is doing as they redefine a recession. We don't. And let us know how great the economy is. We don't think so. But isn't it slowing down? Yes. Isn't it intentional? Yes. Interest rates going up? Yes. Guess who gets hurt? Working class and middle class Americans more than anybody else. And Joe Manchin mysteriously caves 
and signs a Build Back Better plan that could add up to $700 billion. Is that the best way to fight our way through a recession? Let's ask Carl Rove. Carl, welcome back. Good to be back. Is this the Carlos half hour? You got Carl Rove and then Congressman Humanitz? So it is. is it? And what I said Thanks. to Allison uh, and Pete, who helped book the show, uh, I say, get if you book one Carl, there's got to be another because the people exactly. demand it. Same first names. It's the secret to he radio. Very, he's a very smart member, and uh, you're right. He did a good thing by bringing a broad group of people to the border. So let's talk about the recession. Did you ever think about, and in, in when you're in the White House, when things are going bad economically, and the numbers conclude that that just change what the numbers mean? No, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, we, we got hit with a recession in early 2001, sort of as the uh, the result of the tech boom having collapsed in uh, 2000. So the numbers are what the numbers are. The question is, what are you going to do to get to get the economic situation changed? And apparently the White House thinks that the way that you change a recession into prosperity is to raise taxes and spend more money. Uh, at least half of that combination is what got us into the inflationary problem we have. So what's interesting is uh, Joe Manchin uh, did a deal with Senator Schumer, and they waited for the CHIPS package to get Republican votes in order to announce this. I know it's I know it's I'm in the I'm in the idealistic world and you're in the real political world, but it undermines the Democrats unless they know that they're done in the majorities in both chambers. They have undermined trust from here on in. You they do they fully realize it? Is this worth it? Uh, yeah, I don't think they care. I, I, I think they're so desperate for anything. I mean, look, think about this. President Biden's approval numbers are the worst of any modern president at this time in his presidency. The worst of anybody. Uh, Jimmy Carter was better than this. Donald Trump was better than this. I mean, no, nobody has had numbers this bad. The Democrats have a narrow margin in the House, five seats. It's a 50-50 Senate. They know they're going to lose the House. They worry they're going to lose the Senate, that the last two years of the Biden administration are going to be divided government. And they are desperate to hold on to power. So, yeah, they don't care. And, and look, the administration set the tone. When the president came in, he left the impression he was going to unite the country. And instead, and he came in and pursued a gigantic left-wing agenda that was transformational. They loved that they were being called the most transformational president since at least LBJ and in all likelihood since FDR. They loved that they were going that big and that far left. So, no, they, they are where they are in large part because of the choices they made, the rhetoric they adopted, and the attitude that, that governed their actions. Carl with us now, but in case you do not know, over the last two hours, it came across our GDP number for this quarter is point not minus 0.9. Add that uh, to the negative GDP from last quarter. We are in a recession, not according to Brian Deese, the director of the National Economic Council. Listen to his inspiring words. Cut six. The definition of recession, which has been an issue that I know many of you have uh, reported on, um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, Two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. Really? Okay. So I know we're going to make our own decision about the health of the economy depending on our family, on our friends, and what we're able to do and not do. But what about this tactic? And we know the president's going to be speaking a little bit later by telling people don't believe your lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh the, the recessions are declared by the national by the national business uh, 
you know, research center, not by the government. So he's technically right that just simply two quarters in a row of negative growth does not automatically hit a recession. But I think that, that we, in all likelihood, this will be declared an official recession. But look, let's step back. Let's not argue about that. Let's look at the reality that people are facing. Better than three out of every four Americans think their economic circumstances are lousy. They think the country's going in the wrong direction. Why? Because for the last year and a half, they've been experiencing intimately in almost every single day when they go to the grocery store, when they stop by to pick up, uh, you know, something for the kids, when they, you know, par- you know, have to fill up their car, they're realizing how much more they're paying today than they did before. And they see it at work all the time. They, they hear, you know, their colleagues at work, uh, their, their coworkers talking about how how much more expensive it is for the, all the inputs if they work in a factory or the services if they work in the service industry, how much more expensive it is. So they know the economy is bad, and they know how it's impacting their own family budget. Think about it. What, today, what, what you spent 20 bucks last year to get – uh, you know, excuse me. Your purchasing power last year was twenty bucks. This year, your purchasing power with that same twenty bucks is now nineteen. It, it buys less, and everybody knows that. So, to the degree that the administration says, "Oh, look, gas prices are coming down," well, people say, "I'm still paying almost twice as much as I did last year." Oh, don't worry that we we are not technically in a recession. Well, maybe you aren't because you got a government salary, but in my in my life, my wages are not keeping up with what I have to lay out in order to keep my family living. The the life that I want them to live. So, you know, the administration's in a tough place. They've got only themselves to blame for it. They should have listened to Larry Summers rather than pursuing and passing the $1.9 trillion rescue plan and pursuing, unfortunately, not yet passing Build Back Better. They changed the name. They'd lowered the dollar amount, but it's going to have the same impact, which is it's going to increase inflation. So, by the way, just in terms of real life, gasoline up 60%, airfares up 34%, cereal 15%, meat up 10%. Fruit and vegetables up eight, used cars up seven, and goes on. Major companies have to raise their prices. Small restaurants have to raise their prices because everything is costing more right away. What I think is also underappreciated is the uh, energy bill for people paying uh, gas and electric in their house. People are focused on yeah. on the gas pump, but you really can't. You know, we have central air. If you have natural gas, that price is going up. If you have oil, that price is going up. And you can't run well, from if that. You got renewables, if you got renewables, like California, it was already pretty damn high to begin with. Right. Uh, yeah, that is going to save the day. Here's what I was surprised at. I know Larry Summers said he was for Build Back Better. I thought he was kind of harassed into that. That was up as high as $4 trillion. He likes this mansion bill. Cut 14. First, this reduces budget deficits. And so by reducing budget deficits, it reduces the level of uh, demand uh, in the economy. Second, this reduces prices directly by going after prescription uh, drugs and getting lower prices and a better deal for taxpayers when they purchase uh, prescription drugs. Third, this increases uh, supply by stimulating energy production and by subsidizing and supporting our energy transition to uh, renewables. So less demand, more uh, supply and direct better bargaining for lower prices. Those are the things that are involved in reducing inflation. Do you agree with this? Well, let's go to, through them one by one. First, he says this reduces demand. How does it reduce demand? It raises taxes. It gives the government more money to spend and takes pocket money out of the pockets of American businesses and American workers and American consumers. Code for so denial. Right, it reduces. 
Yeah, it reduces demand, but it reduces demand by hurting the very people who need relief, uh, lowers prices. What it does is it sets price controls on drugs, which means there's going to be less research, less innovation, less creativity, and as a result, fewer cures to make our lives better and to help fight disease. And then finally, stimulates the energy transition. Let's, let's really understand what that means. That means we're going to take government money and subsidize higher-priced renewables and force Americans to move from low-cost energy to high-cost energy. Oh, really good. Really, really good. So if you can afford to buy a $70,000 electric vehicle that can drive 200 miles uh, because you live in a compact urban center and you make a good salary to begin with, we're going to take money from the the working man or working woman who has to drive long distance to get to their work or lives in rural America. We're going to take tax money from their pockets and subsidize a yuppie to go buy an electric vehicle to drive, you know, 10 miles a day. So, no, this is not smart legislation. Let's let's, let's be clear. He used deceptive language, particularly when it came to energy. We're not stimulating the creation of and the development of low-cost energy. We're stimulating the forced maneuver of people out of low-cost energy into high-cost energy. And Carl Rove is going to be on on with uh, my show One Nation on Saturday. Before I do that, let's go to your column that comes out on Thursday, came out today, Thursday on The Wall Street Journal. Where did President Trump's donations go? He's raising a lot of money. But you have questions on, is it helping the candidates? Is it helping the party? Yeah, look, all of us get these appeals. You know, help us stop the Democrats. You know, let's flip the Senate and flip the House. But he's got $121 million in the bank as of June 30th. He's he's raised more than that. He's spent... Um, Three hundred, you know, under four hundred thousand dollars in direct contributions of five thousand dollars—the legal limit—to um, sixty House candidates and thirteen Senate candidates. And, and but that's a pittance. That's four hundred thousand out of. A, he's got one hundred twenty-one million cash on hand uh, on independent expenditures, which he could spend his money on. He spent again a fraction of his total money on that. Uh, he spent, you know, two and a half million dollars to try and defeat Brian Kemp in the Republican primary. Failed in that. He's given a half a million dollars to try and defeat Liz Cheney. Those aren't Democrats. I keep getting these fundraising appeals saying, "Flip the House, flip the Senate." So when is he going to start begin start spending money on? helping the candidates that he's endorsed for governor, senator, statewide offices, the Congress, the state legislative race. He gives out an endorsement, but unless he backs it with money, people are going to be sitting there saying, "What? why did I give you money? Your endorsement costs like nothing to give out. It's backing it up. Think about this. The amount of money that he had in his war chest at the end of June is equal to 78% of the combined resources available to the Republican National Committee, the Republican National Senatorial Committee, and the Republican Congressional Committee combined. So he's got in his four little pockets, they're pretty big pockets, particularly one of them, Save America, he's got $103 million in that pocket. So maybe he thinks that he can he can just convert that money to a presidential campaign, but legally he cannot. So when's he going to start spending it to help the people that he's endorsed? J.D. Vance in Ohio, Blake Masters in in uh, in Arizona, Herschel Walker in in Georgia. When is he going to start dumping money into independent expenditure efforts to help get them across the finish line? Do you think that uh, who's in charge of things like that for a candidate? A candidate literally doesn't open up his checkbook or her checkbook. Who would who's his chief of staff? Who's running these packs? Did I just lose Carl? 
Well, but at least he got his statement out. And it's in his column, the Wall Street Journal. I think it's a great question. You could be the biggest Trump fan in the world. But you do know that J.D. Vance not winning Ohio, Herschel Walker not winning Georgia, uh, you have uh, uh, Mastrianos in uh, Pennsylvania. They're going to need money. And the thing is, if President Trump has the money, other Republicans don't. So you could say, well, when they give it to President Trump, they don't really care. It's like they trust his judgment. But what happens is there's only a finite amount of money that goes to conservative causes. If Trump's getting all of it, I would think he has an obligation to help out candidates he endorsed or didn't endorse that have the American First agenda. They're Republicans. I understand how you might not want to support Lisa Murkowski. They've had a little bit of a rivalry. I get it. Maybe he doesn't want to sort, uh, support Brian Kemp. They've had more than a rivalry. I, I get it. But the rest of the people, men and women, endorsed or not, I would think he'd want to flood the zone. Plus, doesn't it build loyalty? When you have that, Carl, lastly, doesn't it work to, we only have a minute left because you kind of, uh, we lost you there for a second. But doesn't it also build loyalty for a future presidential candidate if you help out them in their races? Sure, absolutely. And it will also build loyalty among donors if they see you actually doing what you're promising that, that you're going to do in, in your fundraising solicitations. I mean, people are giving money to the former president because he has told them he wants to get involved in the fight to flip the Senate and flip the House. And so absolutely, it'll not only build loyalty among those who he helps, but it'll build loyalty among his donors as well. They, they want to have that money used to good purpose. All right. Uh, Carl, are you going to have enough energy for me this weekend? Uh, buddy, I'm I'm going to go to the gym before we tape, and I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm honored to be on this weekend. I've just my feelings have been hurt that you haven't asked me before, but thank you. I don't know what caused you finally to look in your Rolodex or look in your Good. card file or search your computer and uh, say, "Oh, we haven't had Rove on." I mean, uh, Allison, really great Allison, back me up. I've had Carl Rove on, and he's been my A Black guest and will be again. He is Carl Rove. Back in a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you support the president in his re-election bid? I'm working on my own election and that's all i'm focused on right now we've got a little under four months here in ohio and we're running a great campaign we're up in the polls and working really hard so i'm just going to focus on that and then we can chat about that uh after i win and and get in the united states senate i'll be happy to comment listen tim ryan i thought when he first got into congress out of ohio i I was uh, and uh allison knows this i was encouraged i go this guy's taking on nancy pelosi he's a moderate from ohio wouldn't it be great to see more moderates he caved Uh, He got spanked. He ran for president, fell on his face as a left wing, not wing like AOC wing, but a left, a true liberal Democrat. We have all his temper tantrums on the House floor. Now Tim Ryan wants everyone to believe he is more conservative than even Rob Portman, who he's looking to replace. J.D. Vance is conservative. He's got to get his campaign hitting on all cylinders. But Tim Ryan is now pretending to be an enemy of Biden, pretending to be an enemy of Nancy Pelosi. Don't fall victim to him. If you want to vote for him, vote for him. But just don't believe this version of Tim Ryan. Who, by the way, everyone's from Senator Warnock on down. There's a new industry. Running from President Biden is the new thing now. Don't buy it.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Is the Biden administration um, actively pursuing high energy prices in order to force Americans into electric vehicles? Of course not. The more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. Uh, of course not. But he already said earlier he was. Congressman Carlos Yemenez uh, joins us now, ranking member of the Homeland Security Committee, Transportation and Maritime Security Subcommittee, who more most of and the Homeland Security Committee, I should say, and was just down at the border. Uh, Congressman, first off, what was your take from the Secretary of Transportation trying to sell us on green energy and not and kind of with a wry smile, not really suffering with us on the price of gas? Well, I mean, he, he kind of backed away from that uh, statement, said, no, I really didn't say that. I said, no, no, you said that. And so uh, it's, uh, this is really what their, their whole plan is, is to raise uh, gasoline prices, try to force us into, you know, their Green New Deal stuff, uh, especially electric, electric cars, et cetera. So they, in order for this to work, in their estimation, because it's kind of worked, this, this thing kind of actually kind of worked in Germany, is you make it so painful uh, that people say, okay, well, now we got to go green, okay? And so... That's exactly what they want to do. That's exactly why the price of gas is, is going up, uh, and uh, and uh, that's what they want to do. And so, you know, they want to force us into this green stuff and uh, and solar panels and and wind windmills and all. Which, by the way, is fine. But we should have an all of the above, and we should also be be using you know the natural resources we have here in the United States to create jobs, to balance uh, balance our trade, and also look. Look at Russia used uh, um, uh, energy as a weapon. Uh, we have, you know, vast reserves here that we should be using it for the same purpose to help our allies, uh, help them, you know, um, you know, escape this uh, this threat of Russia and uh, and withholding their energy. So those are the things that we need to do, and this administration just refuses to do it. We know there's uh, now that's two quarters of negative GDP growth, which usually means recession, but not with this administration. And then yesterday we find out that Joe Manchin cut a deal with Senator Schumer on the, get this, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. <laughs> Total revenue raised, they claim, $739 billion, 15% corporate minimum tax at $313 billion, they claim. Prescription drug pricing reform will save us $288 billion. IRS tax enforcement, they're going to uh, militarize and weaponize the IRS. Fantastic. That worked out well last time. The carried yeah. interest loophole, $14 billion, which I heard Senator Sinema is against. Total investment, $433 billion in uh, energy and climate change, $369 billion into whatever that means, whatever they want right. it to mean. What, is right. your th- what, did, what was your sense when you heard about Senator Manchin cutting this deal? I, I, you know, I was disappointed, obviously, in the senator who's held the line for, you know, for so long and really you know, uh, held off this, this absolute insanity uh, from this president and, uh, and the Democrats. You know, at a time when we have recession— at a time when we have inflation, you are now what you're going to do. And we're trying, to, we're trying to get American companies to come back to the United States because we've seen all the problems with offshoring and, and, uh, and all of the, the supply chain issues that we've had. And frankly, it's time that we stop funding you know, the Chinese Communist uh, Party and start bringing some of these industries back to the United States to protect our long-term interests. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it make it harder for American American companies to come back to the United States, easier for them to leave because we're going to give them a new a new tax. Oh, by the way, if you love IRS audits, I know we all, you know, look forward to the day when we get audited by the IRS. We're going to get a whole bunch more because they have to raise over a hundred billion dollars more in taxes and revenue f- 
from hardworking Americans, which, by the way, are now suffering from 9 percent inflation. And then the, the, the Fed just raised their their basis, you know, 75 basis points on interest. So we're going to pay more for the for all the money that we have that we have to borrow as as citizens. Then we're going to, you know, it's 10 percent. We basically took a 10 percent pay cut. Then the IRS is going to come after us in, in a pocketbook by by you know, auditing all of us, you know, to the penny, uh, and all of this in the name of climate change. Climate change. Give me a break. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. The only way we'll get a break is in the midterms. Uh, that's the only thing that could stop it for Republicans to get a little bit of power back. Uh, Congressman, I thought at first it was just um, they were, the Democrats were so determined to overturn every Trump policy, they overstepped mm-hmm. with the border. Then I thought it was uh, just negligence. And now I think it's intentional what's happening. It is. What, it's what did you conclude when you went down there? Tell everyone what you did this week. Well, we went down there. We looked at the at the border and what's going on on the border. We went to Eagle Pass. We saw a processing uh, center where it's uh, over capacity. They're over capacity every single day. That means that Customs and Border Protection agents that normally should be protecting our border are now processing all these you know illegal immigrants coming into into the country. So we we figure there's going to be well over two million actual encounters by our Customs and Border Patrol agents this year is going to be a record. But something else they, they told me was, look, they had 500,000 that they know of, okay, escaped encounters, which means that they, they walked into this country. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their intentions are. We don't know their criminal backgrounds. We know nothing about these people. But it's even worse because when I asked one of their one of their commanders, I said, well, how many – okay, those are the ones that you know that you didn't encounter. How many do you think got away that you know nothing about? And he goes, well, at least double that amount. So we're looking at, at over a million immigrants that have come into this country we know nothing about. We don't know where they are. We don't know what they want. We don't know the criminal background, nothing about them. And so this is all intentional, all of it, Brian. It's all intentional because you can't be this dumb. The, the Customs and Border Prote- Protection Agents have told the administration exactly what they have to do, restore Trump-era policies. We reduced the illegal immigration by 90 percent. But the first thing that Biden did was overturn it. Why? Because he wants this to happen. This is by this is by design. It is not by accident. It's not by incompetence. It's completely by design. Why? I don't know, but it is by design. Well, how many Democrats uh, did, made the trip, and how many outside Henry Cuellar have ever expressed to you uh, a real worry about what's happening down there? Uh, none, zero. Uh, no Democrat outside of Henry has uh, gone to the border, and I guess Henry's there because he, uh, he's on the border. But uh, no other Democrat has gone to the border. Obviously, the, the czar never went to the border. And uh, and Biden has not gone to the border. Uh, and so, you know, Mallorca's I don't, I don't know how he's gone to the border. But, you know, for him to sit and tell us that this border is under control is a, you know, bald faced lie. It's uh, completely untrue. And, uh, you know, he's heading and he's doing what the, the Biden administration wants him to do, which is continue these policies because we we like what's going on. Uh, at the border. Uh, there is a is a plan. I don't know what it is again, uh, Brian, but this is done on purpose. Congressman Carlos Yemenez is with us of Florida's 26th district. Uh, Congressman, what I'm encouraged at is Mayor Adams spoke up over the last few days, well, started last week and a few others, and said we first he wanted to blame the governor of Texas and Arizona for dropping off illegals, and it turns out they're not doing it. They're putting kids, they're putting some on buses voluntarily and dropping them in D.C., not New York. But New York's mayor came out and said, stop the midnight flights to Westchester and elsewhere that drop illegal immigrants into my city because they're overburdening the social welfare system, including the shelters themselves. That, to me, is the beginning 
of, I think more local you get, the less political you get for the most part. That's a mayor just speaking up saying, I can't sustain this anymore. Well, look, I was the mayor of Miami-Dade County, right? And so all politics is local. Uh, And so the mayor is trying to uh, kind of save his side because he's a Democrat. Uh, these are the Democrat policies, and so he has to say, try to protect his his city, which you know I commend him for. Will it have a, an impact? Probably not. Probably what they'll do is then they'll stop uh, shipping folks to you know in the middle of the night to, to Westchester and instead ship them all around the country and kind of you know give him a break, okay? Because he is a Democrat mayor, so this is not going to stop. They're not going to change their policy, and uh, we're just going to see more and more of it. Um, and until the entire nation, you know, stands up and says enough, you know, and so at this point, you got one mayor, not not the, not all, you know, Democrat mayors are saying the same thing. A lot of these Democrat cities are are sanctuary cities, uh, you know, and we've seen, you know, how well that works. And so again, until until there is some kind of a breaking point, like there was in San Francisco with the with the prosecutor, et cetera, where people say enough. Then it's not going to it's not going to change. I mean, Congressman, look, you're this is not a good this right. is not a good this is not a good you know item for for the president. He knows he's suffering on immigration. That's one of the things. It's really his weaknesses. Yet he continues to do it because he feels that you know his ideology is, you know, is above all else. And so he's going to continue to do it until he he doesn't think until he thinks he's got to pay a real steep political price. Okay, this is my hope between Democratic mayors speaking up. And the Hispanic vote beginning to tilt to the right. You're of Hispanic descent. Uh, I know what's happened in Florida where uh, President Trump got a lot of the Hispanic vote. But now it seems to be happening nationwide to your friends and families and and political experts. What is happening and why is the the uh, the poorest border working against the Democrats when it comes to Hispanic community? Well, because Hispanics are, are pro-law and order. We came here uh, for law and order. You know, we, we came here from places. I came, I came here uh, escaping communism. But, you know, most of the migrants that came in and, and most, of the, most of the people of Hispanic descent here came here legally. So they, they didn't break law coming in. They're hardworking. Uh, they want opportunity for their children. And they don't like what's happening at the border, people just coming in, breaking our laws, and, and this president turning its back on them. And so the the you know, I've always felt that Hispanics eventually were going to turn to the to the Republican Party. We, the Republican Party uh, is you know ha- the values of the Republican Party are much more aligned uh, with Hispanics than uh, than the, the values of the Democrat Party. And so the Democrat Party is leaning more and more further to the left, further to the left, extreme left, and and in some cases interplanetary left. Uh, and the Hispanics are not there. We're not there. We are hardworking. We're people of faith. We're people of family. We came here for opportunity. We want to live the American dream, and we see that slipping away with these Democrat policies. And that's why, that's why the Hispanics are now, you know, rushing to to the GOP. Maybe that will wake up the Democrats, but I don't believe so. I think their ideology blinds them to everything else. So you don't think that they'll say, wait, it's working against us. I'm going to have to, now I'm going to have to go, we have to enforce the border? No, I think what they, they always think that, look, our policies are great. It's just a matter of messaging, all right? They just think that we're not smart enough to figure it out how great their policies are. And then because they actually do look down on us. They, they think that, you know, hey, you know, we, we know what, what's best for you all. And therefore, you should you should be grateful that we're doing these things. 
Uh, but we're smart enough to figure this all out for ourselves. We don't need anybody telling us what to do. Uh, they, uh, they think that their ideology is, you know, the, the, the future and that is a question of messaging. They just need to message it differently. You hear that all the time. You know, well, it just, they just don't get it because they haven't heard it right. You know, they've, they've hmm. been misinformed. Therefore, you know, they'll come back to us. They're not going to come back. Uh, they know exactly what they're trying to sell, and we're not buying it. Gotcha. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Brian. You uh, have a good one. You got it. Uh, Carlos, uh, that is Congressman Carlos Yemenez of Florida, 26. Uh, district. He uh, could be back in power and chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. I certainly hope so after November. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Be back uh, with your calls in just a moment. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is uh, from TikTok's privacy policy. All right. It said, uh, we collect certain information about the device you use to access the platform, Mm -hmm. such as your IP address, um, user region, so all your apps and all your file names, all the things you have filed away on your phone, they have access to that. So they're monitoring your keystrokes, which means they know every thing you type. Wow. Just tell me how it ends, man. It ends with China having all of your data. Yes, uh, China is trying to buy up our farmland, uh, which is, by the way, some of which borders on our military outposts. They're putting in listening devices uh, through uh, in big and small towns, and we know they're into our colleges. We also know they want to supplant us in every way as a military and economic superpower, and they're on their way to doing it. And now the President of the United States, I understand, had a two-hour conversation with President Xi. Between translation, probably an hour was substantive. Uh, and they do have a relationship. I imagine President Xi can probably speak English and will just like Putin pretend he doesn't and use that time to think up an answer. He's upset that uh, Nancy Pelosi is going to visit Taiwan uh, shortly with a delegation, supposedly bipartisan, ask Congressman McCall to join her. The Pentagon doesn't want it to because they're afraid of upsetting China. Who cares about upsetting China? They cannot. The president would not even commit through his spokesperson to bring up fentanyl, which is manufactured in China, sold to cartels in Mexico, brought across the border that is killing countless people across our country. Not drug addicts necessarily, people that maybe want to take Adderall and they buy their drugs from a friend of theirs or they take what they think are prescription drugs from a neighbor. And they'll say, you know, I want to stay up all night and study. Well, it turns out some of that fentanyl's in the Adderall, boom, you're dead. One and done is happening all over. These aren't, well, these drug addicts are taking this and this is bad drugs. It's not the case. Fentanyl now turning up in some marijuana. Kills on contact in many cases from China. They will guarantee, will John Kirby, to talk about this, though, cut 24. Climate change is absolutely going to be on the list when he talks to, to, to China. Uh, but I didn't I wasn't trying to give you the list in you know order of importance. I was just trying to go through a lot of the different items that are going to be on the agenda when he has a chance to talk to President Xi again. This will be their fifth conversation. It's an important, consequential relationship. Why would climate change be necessary, even as an admiral, to bring up, does he really believe that climate change should be at even the top 50 lists of things we should talk about with China, who are going to ignore everything you say anyway? Uh, Just real quick, I just want to make an announcement. If you want to get back our country story, the American story, 
a thousand people at a time. Join me on my quest on stage as I do uh, America Great from the Start. So it's going to be on fi- uh, going to be in cooperation with Fox Nation. I'm going to be on stage at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. WABC listeners, hope to see you out there in this region. I'm going to be there Saturday, August 27th. Tickets are on sale. Albany, New York, September 8th, the following week at the Egg at the Empire State Plaza in Albany. Brandon, Mississippi, City Hall Live. And that'll be November 12th. The next day, Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG. Uh, uh, listeners, of course, I meet me there. Get tickets. Cox Convention Center. We'll have a great time. Talk about these books. Uh, talk about America's uh, history and be able to interact with you in a way I can do on the radio. But this will be great face-to-face. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, let's begin right here. The U.S. has been offered a deal, a prisoner swap, for Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan to Victor Bout. This guy is evil as evil gets. Tony Blinken said he put it out there, has not heard back yet. This guy is a brutal arms dealer with blood on his hands. You've heard us talk about it. As much as I want Whalen and Griner home, this is going to reinforce his terrible behavior amongst all our enemies. There's got to be a better way. Next, an all-female rowing team broke a world record by rowing more than 2,400 nautical miles from California to Hawaii in 34 days, 14 hours, and 11 minutes. Does that sound like fun to you, Allison? It sounds it sounds like a, an amazing workout. And we'll also add two of the girls um, rowed together in where we live now for Mountain Lakes High School. So there you go. Shout out to Mountain Is that Lakes. how it made it? Um, no, actually, Pete put that on all on his own, and I had seen it on my own. But um, So it's four girls, but yeah, two of them are Jersey girls. Opposite story, couch potato kids can develop high blood pressure by the age of six. They got 10 cases of high blood pressure in children and teens. The international team's findings were based on six to 16-year-olds with hypertension across Europe. So get on a bike, get on a big wheel, go on the monkey bars, and go down a slide. Yeah, six-year-olds with that, that's depressing and sad. It is. Uh, and by the, Or get a job. You know, At six, tables. yeah, get them to work, 100%. Right. It used to be, to those family. were the days before the child labor laws <laughs> screwed everything up. Am I right? Hey, um, don't forget One Nation, Saturday at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.